Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast and being a part of our church family here at New Hope. Now here's this week's podcast. Merry Christmas. Come on, would you give up some love for all the campuses? Durham, Coffee House, Columbia, Sanford, North Raleigh, Hillsboro, Garner Campus, NCCIW, Internet Campus, and all that kind of stuff. I know I've already mentioned it, but the stage sets are absolutely incredible. They've done this at all the campuses. And uh, yeah, you can, I mean, it's one of the best Christmas sets we've ever had. And uh, I, I would never tell you which campus, but I just wanted to let you know that one of our campuses has placed a 10 point whitetail buck on the wall of their Christmas set. And I would never tell you the campus, <coughs> Sanford, but um, <laughs> just why I love Sanford, you rock. That's awesome. They got a big old 10-point buck up there on the wall. And uh, if that bothers you, we love you. We're so glad you're here. <laughs> you're looking at a man who loves to hunt and fish. I'm sorry. It's all good, amen? So it's Christmas. We're, we're going to um, take this series today and we're going to try to give you a different way to look at one of the most popular passages in all of scripture and not just in scripture by the way this is one of the most popular parables if you will in secular literature as well in fact this is a parable that some of the greatest rock and roll bands and country bands and and rap bands of all time have ever um worked in biblical images into their songs. Like I'm thinking about the Rolling Stones. Any Rolling Stone? come on, I know, I know that'll show your age, but any Rolling Stones people in the house? All right, got the Rolling Stones people in, U2, any U2 people? U2 has songs that has the parable of the prodigal son in it. What about Kid Rock? Any Kid Rock fans? Kid Rock, House of Pain, Dirks Bentley, any godly country people in the house? Dirks Bentley sings about the prodigal son in one of his songs. I mean, this is no doubt one of the most popular parables, passages, not only in the Bible, but also in literature as well. And we are going to go get this today. And I'm hoping and praying you'll walk away from today understanding the parable from an entirely different new angle. Because here's what I know about the parable of the prodigal son. So many of you, most of you in fact, have heard it over and over and over and over again. Which warning, warning. When you are that familiar with the passage you can actually lose some of its most powerful significance because you have overly familiarized yourself with a passage. And you can just kind of doze off, kind of, you know, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. And I want to encourage you today to not do that because we are going to hopefully pull something out of that passage that you've never thought about before. And to read it, we're also going to do that a little differently because you've heard it read so many times in a monologue. Turn your attention to the screens and check this out. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So we divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Who sent him to the fields to feed his pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you were always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. Amen. What a great story. Praise God for his word. You can clap for the word of God. If you're going old school, um, let's talk to you a little bit about prodigal. Prodigal. Um, I want to talk to you today about the wild notion that we have that this passage is primarily about the son. Because it's called the prodigal son. The truth is what I want to talk to you about today is a prodigal God. A prodigal God. And I know you might not have ever put those two words together because we have this tendency to think prodigal necessarily means lostness or someone's in a bad situation. But I put a definition up here for you. Here's the actual definition of prodigal. Why don't you read it out loud with me? Ready? Go. Giving or spending something on a lavish scale. Is that not what God did when he sent his son Jesus Christ. Let me give you one more definition. This is straight from Webster. Prodigal. Ready? Go. Recklessly spendthrift. To spend until you have nothing left. Come on, church. Think about Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did he not spend everything that he had to the point of sweating Blood, a physiological reality that can happen in very, very rare cases. Jesus Christ prayed, Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. God was spending everything he had for you. Is that not what the Father did when he sent his one and only Son and Jesus Christ left the very throne room of heaven, and came to planet earth. I want to talk to you today about a prodigal God. 
And I want us to just kind of snuggle up, if you will, to a new concept, a new truth. It's kind of dreary outside. It's a little chilly out there. I know some of you are ready for Christmas. Others of you are not so sure you're ready for Christmas yet. But I want us to just reflect today on what it means to know and love and serve a prodigal God. And what it means to be known and to be loved and to be served. Jesus said, I came not to serve, but to be served, not to be served, but to serve, to actually know a God who serves us and loves us in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, there are three parables in this chapter. There is the parable of the lost sheep. Stick with me here for a moment. If you know your Bibles, how many sheep were there? How many? Hundred. How many wandered off and got lost? One. What does the shepherd do? Leaves all 99 to go find the one lost sheep. What would you have done if you had 100 of anything and you lost it? I mean, come on. We're a culture. We don't even stoop down to pick up a penny anymore off the concrete. The shepherd leaves 99 to find one. If you're a mathematician, that's 1%. The second parable in Luke chapter 15 is about a woman. And what does she lose? She loses a coin out of how many? Ten. What does she do? Sweeps the house, moves the furniture, did an all-out search to find that one. Ten percent. One coin out of ten. One percent. Then 10%. And then in this third parable, how many boys are there? Two. One goes off into the far country, thinks he's going to live the high life, ask for the father's inheritance. Here's what you need to know about that day and time. If you ask for your father's inheritance, I guess the same could be said today. If you ask for your father's inheritance, you are basically saying to your dad, hey, I wish you would go ahead and die. So the son says, give me your inheritance and I'm going to go off. And he thinks he's getting the wildlife. He thinks he's getting the best. And yet he goes to experience that what he has really found is less than ever he'd ever hoped for. And then he turns and he leaves less to go get God's best. Hey, come on. How many of you have ever thought you were getting one thing and you ended up getting something else? Christmas is coming. Come on. Uh, how many of you, you, you thought you were getting one thing? You opened up the gift the whole time thinking you were getting one thing? And lo and behold, you finally got into it and it was an ugly Christmas sweater. Or come on, guys, a pair of socks. Ladies, please, no socks this year. No sweater. <laughs> guys, you can thank me after the service. Now, seriously, how many of you have ever thought you were getting one thing and you ended up getting something entirely different. Uh, the year was 1995. I want to make sure I get that right. 1995, uh, my wife and I were about to get married. And um, I wanted to do a nice honeymoon. I mean, I, I didn't have much of anything. I was putting myself through seminary here at Duke. 
but I still, I saved. I mean, I worked really hard to, to save up and try to provide a decent honeymoon. Now, what you need to know is back in those days, I mean, we were in college, man. Some of you can remember, we, were, we, we weren't poor. We were po. you know what I mean? We, we college students among us, we were ramen noodles poor. You know what I'm saying? You've been there? I mean, ramen noodles all the time. If I didn't have ramen noodles, I would eat cereal. Amy Lynn still picks on me to this day. I would eat a bowl of cereal two or three times a day, and I was good. Call it a day. But I saved. I wanted, I wanted us to have a good honeymoon. And so my wife is from Florida, and uh, Tallahassee to be exact. And so we were getting married in her home church in Tallahassee, Florida, big downtown flagship traditional church, all the bells and whistles. And um, so from there, I started thinking, okay, where can we go on a honeymoon from Tallahassee? And you know, Florida gives you a lot of options, right? So I decided that the first leg of our honeymoon would be we would simply jump in a car and we would go to Disney World and we would enjoy a few days there. The second leg of the honeymoon would be we would go to Cocoa Beach. Anybody ever been to Cocoa Beach? Woohoo! Did two nights at Cocoa Beach and just kind of hung out and chilled. And then the third and final leg of the honeymoon was that we were going to get on a boat and go on a cruise to the Bahamas. Now, we'd never done a cruise. Um, and like I said, we were po. Um, so I went online and I got sticker shot right away. But finally, I kept searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a cruise that was economical, if you will. And um, I didn't know any better, but I, it's a cruise, man. How, how, how bad can it be, right? Um, and, and, and so I started looking into the, the rooms, you know, the cabins on the cruise ship. Because that's, that, I, was, I was concerned about the room. Because I didn't really want to leave the room that much, if you know what I mean. Uh, anyway. Oh, no, he didn't. Yeah. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Guys, you know. So, so, um. <laughs> so, um. I found, I found the cabins, and I couldn't afford the expensive cab. You know, they have, they have, they have different classes. Well, well, needless to say, we, we were kind of in the lower class, uh, lower class cabin. But online, I was online, I was looking, and online it showed the cabin that we were going to get. And, um, you, and it looked pretty spacious. It really did. And then it had this window. And I thought, that's cool. And you could see out of the window online, you know, on the computer screen, and it showed beautiful blue water. And beautiful white sand and palm trees and I thought that's it and I can afford it so I booked it we went to Tallahassee we got married rode off in a red convertible Mustang with all of her Florida people doing the Seminole chop oh I'm not lying seriously I thought you people are crazy Road to, uh, drove to Disneyland, had a good couple days there. Went to Cocoa Beach, had a good couple days there. But we were fired up. It was time for the cruise. Went to Cape Canaveral. We, 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 got, we walked onto the ship, and the ship took off because they were still doing, you know, the training. If you've done cruises, they normally do the training. They get you to do the life jackets and all that kind of stuff. But finally, it was time to go to the room. So we walked into the room, and the room, which when I looked at it online, looked to be about this big, was about this big but it's okay it's a boat I wasn't worried about anything but but the bed and the view and no 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 seriously sleeping view and Amy Lynn Amy Lynn did what the women do right Amy Lynn walked in and the first thing she checked out was the bathroom she went right into the bathroom see some of you women knew that and she yells out from the bathroom oh it's a great room what she meant by that is there's a decent bathroom I don't care about the bathroom I walked into the rest of the room which was about like this size and there it was, the window. 
there was the window. And I walked over to the window. And I looked out of the window. And I didn't see blue water. And I didn't see an island. And I didn't see palm trees. You know what I saw? I saw green water. No, 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 you don't understand. I can tell by the way you're looking at me. Let me help you out. I didn't see the top of green water. I saw green water. We were under the water. Our class was so low. <laughs> we were under the flipping water. Like, let me help. Few of you still aren't with me. Like, we would see a fish go by every now and then. I mean, have you ever thought you were getting one thing, you know what I mean? And you end up getting something entirely different. That's the story of the prodigal son. He, he thought he was going out to enjoy the high life. So he grabbed his daddy's money. Headed out to Vegas, if you will. To live the wild life. And what he soon discovered is what some of you have discovered and what I have surely discovered. And that is sin will take you further and faster away from God than you ever imagined in your life. I'll say this later, but I'll go ahead and say it right now. Sin doesn't necessarily make you bad. Pause. Some of you have been raised and you think that you're too bad that you can't measure up therefore you can't really have an intimate relationship with God because you think you're too bad sin doesn't necessarily make you bad are you listening sin makes you dead and the gospel is that God comes to give us life and the prodigal son went into the far country thinking he was getting one thing and lo and behold he experienced something else he ran out of money he didn't have food as good as that which the pigs were eating. It got so bad that he actually lived in the pigsty with the pigs, eating the pea pods that the pigs ate. And so he eventually comes to his senses. That's the biblical verse. He comes to his senses, and the Bible says he got up. It all turns when we decide to get up. Some of you are dreading this Christmas season. And again, I want us to be pretty reflective today. We're going to kind of just chill a little bit and, 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 and think about this concept that I'm talking to you about today. But some of you can't stand Christmas. Moreover, some of you can't stand January and February. It's the cold month. And some of you slip into a depression. And some of you are here today and you feel helpless and you feel hopeless. And what I want to let you know is often what will change the very course of that trajectory is if you just simply get up. The people who persevere in life, the people who, the people who do great things with their life are those who will not stay down. It is those who actually dust themselves off and they actually get up. Let, let me show you what I mean about the prodigal. You might not have ever noticed it before. So he what? He what, church? He got up. Everybody say, get up. He got up and he went to his father. Some of you came just for that today. When you feel like the black hole is blacker than it's ever been. When you feel the weight of it all. When you feel 
the shortcomings of your life, when you feel the scars and the wounds from the past, when you feel Christmas once again, maybe not being all that you really envisioned it being, you've got two choices. You can stay down or you can get up. And we learn from this prodigal to get up. And the moment he got up, he was leaving less. And the moment he turned his attention to God, he was finding the best. And he goes and he has this encounter with the Father, Luke 15. Hope you're following along in your Bibles. I know we don't have storybooks anymore, but hey, use the New Hope app if you want, or your Bibles, or your teaching notes. I want you to see the response of the Father out loud together. Ready? Go. So he got up and went to his Father. But while he was still a long way off, his Father... Time out, time out, time out. His father what? How many people live on planet Earth today? They say about 7 billion. Think about that for a moment. That means you're one in 7 billion. And the father still sees you. The moment you get up. And you leave less and you turn towards more and you lock in to God the Father. He sees you. In fact, he sees you before you ever turn towards him. The entire message of Christmas is that God loves you and God sees you. And God wants you to come more fully into his presence. His father saw him and was filled with, what's that word? Let's continue. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Some of you are here and you feel that way. You don't think you're worthy. It's been ingrained inside of you by your parents or your grandparents or your aunts or your uncles or your church or some pastor like me. And forgive us. I am so sorry if that has ever happened to you. But you have been convinced over and over and over you're not worthy. You don't think you can come fully into the presence of God. Listen, God is not mad at you. God is mad about you. He loves you. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Let's continue. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's continue. One more slide. Let's have a feast. And for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found so they began to do what you know that God is a celebrating God in fact you can do it now even while I'm teaching or you can go do it later read the rest of Luke chapter 15 and in all three parables the Bible says that God celebrated when that which was lost was found now, what you need to understand contextually is that this parable, it traveled over the lips of Jesus. 
actually told of a prestigious patriarch. Did you get that? He had hired servants, right? He had a fattened calf. He had a ring to throw on his fingers, his son's finger. He could party. He had the means. Now what you need to understand is in that day and age, it was not, how shall I say it, dignified for a patriarch to run. Patriarchs didn't run. They were too distinguished. Moreover, the patriarch would have had a long flowing robe on with sandals. So you got to get the scene. For this parable to even happen, Jesus paints a picture of a prestigious patriarch who does what you wouldn't do in that day and age. It's literally scandalous. Like the grace of God, the patriarch would have to lift up his robe, his legs would be exposed, and he's running wide open to his son who has decided to come home. Scandalous. Lavish. It's a prodigal God who would go to any length possible to save and redeem his son. Look at what the Bible says, Luke 15, 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he what? Help me out, church. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. What did he do? He fathered his son. And I just want to take a moment today and again just reflect on some very important truths for you. I want to take a moment and I want to talk to you about allowing God to father you this Christmas season. And what I have discovered is that this is a message that's really, really important for men. Ladies, I know it's going to speak to you as well, but do you know we live in a culture where so many men have father wounds and they grow up fatherless? And some of you are here today and if you can just get a glimpse of a prodigal God who loves you lavishly, who pours out his mercy on you and wants to father you, not only during the Christmas season, but throughout your life, I'm here to tell you it will change the trajectory of your life. And I want to recommend a book to you. It's called Fathered by God by a one such John Eldridge. If you know any men or women who are fatherless and they're seeking God or maybe they one day will or maybe you're here and you need this, read this book. I'm reading it only because the Sanford campus pastor, Trent Shoemake, gave me this book. He told me how it so impacted him and we have similar stories with our dads. And I'm in this book right now and I read this and I just got to read it for you. Can I, can I read a, just a page? Because as I'm reading it this week, not to study for the message, I read this, parable, this passage here, these two pages, and it's about the prodigal son. Listen to what he says. Most of the men I've counseled over the years understand that Christianity is an offer of forgiveness. Everybody gets that, right? Everybody, all men, women, students here. You know, Christianity is about forgiveness, he says made available to us through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That is what most men have come to believe is the core of Christianity. 
What they don't seem to grasp is that there is more. That forgiveness was made available to each of us so that we might come home to the Father. Now listen, don't, don't daydream. I know sometimes I pick up a book. I don't do this often, but I can lose you. But stick with me, okay? Coming home to the Father is the goal. So a man who calls himself a Christian attends church and has some hope of heaven when he dies has not received the lion's share of what God intended him to receive through the work of Christ. He will find himself still very much living alone. That's a lot of you. You find yourself in crowds of people. This year you'll be at Christmas parties where there's dozens or hundreds of people and you'll feel all alone. He will find himself living still very much alone, stuck in his journey, wondering why he cannot become the man he longs to be. Here's the key phrase. He has not come in to sonship. One final paragraph. Take a closer look at the story of the prodigal son. One of many stories Jesus told to try to get into our hearts where we stand with the Father and how he feels about us. Yes, the prodigal went AWOL, ran off to Vegas with the family fortune, blew it all on, his language not mine, so forgive me, save your emails, blew it all on cheap whores and high stakes poker. Yes, we have done the same, more or less, and in most cases, much more than less. But that is not, not, not the point of the story. The story is not primarily about the prodigal. The story is primarily about the father's heart. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Don't miss this. This is the kind of father you have. This is how the Father feels about you. And this is the purpose for which Christ came. Amen? Do, do you see why I'm referring to him as a prodigal God who has lavishly poured so much love onto you and some of us don't even realize it i alluded to this earlier i told you we were going to come back to it let this settle in to you oh we're going to keep going here keep going keep going the gospel is not that sin makes us bad did you hear me it's not that sin makes us bad listen the gospel is that sin makes us dead and jesus brings us back to life See, some of you are here and you, you're not even, I see it when I talk to some of us. I mention God or even when you're in my presence, you, you can't even lift your head because you walk around with such feelings of guilt and shame because you think you're a bad person. You're not a bad person. God is not mad at you. He's mad about you. And the story of the prodigal is that he will do anything to get you leaving sin, which again doesn't make you bad. It just makes you what? Dead. And 
turning toward him so that you can experience the abundant life that God has come to offer you. Do you notice what happened in the parable with the older son? The older brother? Let's look at that real quickly and then we'll wrap up and you'll be on your way. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So we got some of us here who are prodigals. And that's one way of being lost. But there's a whole nother category of lostness in this parable. The older brother was just as lost as the younger brother. Just in different ways. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Little party pooper. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Listen to the sarcasm. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, wouldn't even call him his brother. Wouldn't even say my brother. When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf. For him. I would ask for a show of hands of the prodigals who have been prodigal and found your way back home to God, and that would be cool. I would raise my hand with you. Y'all know my story. But I could also ask for a show of hands of those of you who would fall in the category of the older brother. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? The older brother. Let, let's call it the firstborn syndrome. Oh, I got some firstborns in here. Firstborn syndrome. His type is seldom counted loss. He hangs in the environment that is wholesome and clean. This old boy was not a waster. He was a worker. Right? He was industrious and thrifty. Any thrifty people in the house? He despised slothfulness and was the enemy of extravagance and lavishness. Anybody feeling like you might fall into that? Don't worry, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. He or she is typically a very judgmental person. Looking down their righteous, holy noses at the lower prodigals of the world. His conduct created no scandal and was the enemy of moral laxity. He did not gamble and he condemned lawlessness. And listen in. He was the epitome of entitlement thinking that is bombarding our culture today. An entitlement mindset that basically claims everybody owes me something. Tell it. <laughs> the firstborn, the religious one, if you are not careful, you will be just as lost and in some cases more lost than the prodigal who is out in the far country. Sin makes you dead as well. And the last time I checked, every single one of us is a sinner who needs a Savior. Listen to me. Let me drill down a few more layers and then again I'll, I'll be done. Elder brothers easily become 
angry when God's grace flows freely. Elder brothers are typically dripping with resentment. Let me be inclusive. Elder sisters get deeply angry and bitter when life does not turn out as they desire. Elder brothers and sisters tend to believe God owes them a smooth road because they believe that moral observance of rules and regulations should guarantee positive results. And the father looked at the firstborn, the arrogant one, the snooty one, the righteous one, the religious one, the one that never left the old home place. And he goes prodigal with that boy as well. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be what? Be what? Because this brother of yours, in the parable, the father switches it. says, this brother of yours, even though you wouldn't call him your brother, this brother of yours was, there it is, there it is, what? Dead and is alive again. He was lost and is what? Found. The unbelievable parable of the prodigal son. And what I hope every single one of you will do today at all of our campuses or television or internet locations, wherever you might be, I'm hoping and praying you walk away from here today realizing that God is the prodigal one. He is the one who lavishes grace upon grace upon grace for the firstborn, for the middleborn, for the eldest. He is the one who pours out so much grace that it is scandalous. And some of you are sitting here right now and you're thinking, this just sounds too good to be true. I'm with you. But it is truth nonetheless. He is a good, good father. Can I get an amen? amen? He is a good, good God. And he will never turn his back on you. And he is longing and looking for you to return home for Christmas. Wherever you are in this spiritual or moral spectrum, God is calling you home. He is the good father of the prodigal. God is for you. Thank you, Lord. He is for you. No, no, no. no. Some of you didn't hear me. Some of you are arguing with me in your mind right now. He can't be for me. I'm too bad. No, no, no. He is for you. Every single person within the sound of my voice, anywhere you are, God is for you. And as I was thinking about that this week, toward the end of the week, as I was just kind of getting ready to come in here, I started reflecting on how many times you find that phrase in Scripture, God is for you. It runs throughout the entire Bible. In fact, when he breaks the bread, remember he breaks the bread, Holy Communion, lifts the cup of wine. He says, this is my body which is broken. What, what, what? This is the blood of the new covenant which is shed. What, what, what? For you. God is for you for you Jeremiah would say I know the plans I have for you plans that you should prosper God is for you he's not against you 
No one wants what's best for you like God wants what's best for you. No one. And regardless if you are a young prodigal or an elderly brother, God is for you. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. So listen, fear not. Fear not. Come on home to the Father. Do you know how many times that phrase, fear not, is listed in the Bible? I don't expect you to know that. 365 times. Exactly. 365 times you find the phrase in the Bible, fear not. It's as if God was saying to us, I've given you one for every single day of the year. Fear not. Fear not. I am for you. I am your prodigal God, and I am a spendthrift. I am lavish with my grace towards you. So come home. Come home this Christmas season. To which some of you might say, well, how do I do that, right? How do I do that? It's not a part of the message, but let me just go there for just a moment. That's why I'm thankful that today we were just able to chill a little bit and kind of get introspective and go beneath the surface several layers and talk about a prodigal God instead of a prodigal son. Here's how you go home for Christmas. The season is about to get hectic. It's going to get stressful. What if you made a plan right now to not let your blood pressure and your life get stressed out over the Christmas season? You say, how do I do that again? What if every single day you carved out 30 minutes of your time? 30 minutes of your time. And found a place, a space, whatever it might be for you, and you just got into the Christmas story and you read the Word of God. It'll change your Christmas season. I mean, we, ju we just came out of the story, eight months of reading the Bible. Don't stop those holy habits that you have formed. What if every single day between now and the new year, you found a way, a place, a space, and a time to actually pray to your God who doesn't come to scold you, but comes to lavishly love you. Men, this is hard for some of us to let God embrace you, to be vulnerable with God in prayer and in reading his word. What if every single day you found a way, some, some way, on your phone, in your car, whatever the case may be, to put on Christmas music, and, and I don't mean the cheesy secular Christmas music, but I mean like worship music. And you found yourself raising holy hands to God. And you found yourself just worshiping God, whatever that looks like for you, hands raised or not. He's calling you home. And that doesn't necessarily mean in the saved law sense. It means that you, every single day, as much as you can, you humble yourself at a nativity where God lavishly laid out his life for you. Pray with me.
Father, I ask that in this moment you would speak to your children. And in this moment, Lord God, we would commit to getting up, just like the prodigal did, to, to get up, God, and to resist how this season can become just a stress fest, just a time to get all caught up in the crass consumerism and commercialism of the holidays, God. And we, we seek you. We seek a different way, God. Even this early in December, we start to prepare our hearts and our minds to come home, to rest in you. Father, for those who need you to father them in new and profound ways, God, would they open up their hearts and their lives and allow you to do exactly that. Father, for the prodigals who are here, and they've been in the far country, and they long to come home in that salvation kind of way, I would invite you in this moment in your own words to just ask Christ into your life. Give him your heart today. Get up in whatever kind of way that looks like for you and return to the Father. Lord, I pray for the, <laughs> the elders among us. The righteous ones, the ones who have been trained to put way too much stock in their own goodness. Father, let them come to terms with the way in which that religion and moral observance can actually land us in the, in the place of lostness, just like the younger son. Let us, too, return. Let us come home and join the party. Join the celebration that awaits us. Father, I pray for my friends over Christmas season. Give them a great Christmas. Give us the wisdom and the ability to return regularly to that place that we call home, that right and intimate relationship with you. This we pray in Jesus' name, the one who told this parable. And the Christmas people of God said together, amen and amen. Hey, we're going to turn it back over to the campuses and the campus pastors. You are in great hands there. We love you, and we'll see you right back here next Sunday. Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org, and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast, and thanks for being a part of our church family.